Good morning, happy Sabbath, and it is a beautiful day out there, isn't it? I want to pray again, and I think of the prayer requests, and I think of the fact that we have a new administration in our government, so join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I lift up to you our nation's leaders. I ask you on this Sabbath day to join us, though. We invite your presence here. I ask you to bless the prayer requests we've mentioned. I ask for help that as I speak, I can lift you up, that you will bless us as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message. And I think of this title, and let me put it as a question to you. What kind of life would you like? And Patty, when I think of your heart, I want, I want a heart that keeps beating. And, and, and there's all kinds of things that can happen to us. If you're a young kid girl or boy, what you want for your life might be different than a person that's in a nursing home. But my message has us think about what is the kind of spiritual life that would be the best for us, and how do we get that, and how do we maintain it? The life I've always wanted Oh my, sometimes the things I've wanted hasn't been good. So I look at this warning. I have a neighbor who's a truck driver, and he says, going from Denver to Cheyenne, you can see on occasions trucks tipped over. You can see wrecks. This statement is a real statement that happens in Colorado on I-25 and other places. The next statement I put up here is similar to this, and I share it with you in context of the life that I want is not always what's going to happen on this planet. There are going to be things that happen that I don't like. So this is a symbolic statement. This is a spiritual storm coming. This spiritual storm, in the context of our church, we talk about the great controversy. There is a war going on for your life and my life Satan wants to win, but God can win. It's amazing that maybe you've heard this statement, not one in 20 Christians are ready for Jesus to come. In the Rocky Mountain Conference that is a part of our church organization, 17,000 members Maybe not one in 100 are ready for Jesus' return. 
They are not filled with the Holy Spirit's power. The life that I want is I want to be saved. And I want to be secure and have assurance of salvation. And there's no reason that the Boulder Church can't have 100% of its members ready for Jesus' return. Then I think of this quotation from the great controversy about what is coming upon this planet. And there's warnings in scripture very similar to this. But look at this statement. The most vivid presentation, whatever your imagination can comprehend, will not equal the magnitude of the events that are going to happen on this planet before Christ returns. There's going to be things that happen that are beyond our wildest imagination. Two years ago, or 18 months ago, we never would have considered that COVID would do to us what has happened. How could that happen? Strange. Now, this is what Daniel said. This idea is also in the New Testament that Jesus says something similar. There is going to be things that happen on this planet before Christ returns that are going to test our faith and our relationship with Jesus. Now, I want to show you two people. This first person I'm going to show you I don't personally know, and I wonder about his religious orientation. So let me introduce him to you. This professor, what he has done over his lifetime, has written numerous books and articles about the tension between crisis and the church. What happens when events happen in the world and how does that affect the church? And, and he's talking about all religions. So I want you to notice his quotation. This quotation is relevant to churches. It goes along with what we see in Daniel that there's going to be a time of distress Individuals, individuals as a family or as a person goes through a crisis. What he's going to say here that I'm going to show you is happening in front of our eyes with COVID. But he wrote this long before COVID. So this is what he says. Disaster does something. What does disaster do? It, it produces questioning. It produces anxiety, stress. That crisis leads to a system where people's beliefs are changed. Notice this next sentence. Only in the wake, only in its wake are people moved to do what? Abandon their values. 
Think about what COVID has done to our nation, people's values in how we used to live have had to radically change. Our government is in, a, is in a transition of change as well as crisis comes. Our church has been in a crisis. Now this next person, obviously I never met either. This person is famous because he was number two in Hitler's regime. So 75 years ago, this man was on trial for his life. The end of that trial would result in which he would be charged and he was to be hanged. He committed suicide. He was asked this question. This question is significant relative to change in values. He was asked, how, how do you, how did Hitler, how did the Germans go about getting people to change? Before Hitler came to power, Germany was basically a religious government. Every denomination, including Seventh-day Adventists, by the end of the war, had given up all their values and supported everything Hitler did. Now, that doesn't mean 100% of all people did, but even the Adventist church gave up its values. So what do you do to, produ to produce fear, to produce change? How do you get people terrified so much that they will give up their values, you make fear so intense that people become slaves and do anything that the government says. That's what he's saying. I want you to think about what Daniel said there in Daniel, that a time is coming. Satan is out to destroy this planet. He is out to destroy every person. So, my title of my sermon, The Life I've Always Wanted, how, how do I, how do you, in light of a crisis that our world may face, how do we maintain our relationship with Jesus? How do we do that? That's what this sermon is about. And, and there's a lot, I've made it very simple. Because it's, it's we, we can answer that in a lot of different ways. But I'm going to share with you two ways that I think are absolutely the most important ways to protect ourselves. So Clark read these two passages. This one from Paul's writings in Corinthians. It talks about how we're transformed. How the image of God gets inside of us and, and, and we're changed. 
Paul's statement in Romans about transformation is, is basically similar to the same one in Corinthians. There is a process of transformation that God wants to take us through. That process of, of changing who we are in our carnal nature to be more like him is a process that is essential for our eternal salvation. So what are the key ingredients, the absolute bottom line, foundation of how this transformation takes place? Here Paul says something about the mind. So what Paul is saying, this transformation is a process and in, in Bible terms, it's called sanctification. It's growing in Christ. That, that through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God changes our spiritual DNA. Who I used to be as a teenager at times, my lands, I'm not proud of it. I still struggle and you still struggle. We all still struggle in this battle against our carnal nature and the, nation that, and, the, and the nature that God wants for us. So what God wants for us is a change, a transformation. The life I want is the life I must have and the only way I can have that is through a surrender of my life to Jesus. And I'm gonna to suggest to you today, there are two key pieces in that that guarantee our eternal salvation. So I think of this lady and how much weight she's trying to lift. If I understand all of that, that's about 300 pounds. Well, how do you get to the point where you can be an athlete, whether it's a runner or any sport or lifting weights? You have to be disciplined. You have to build up to this. Our oldest son, Brian, has set I'm not kidding you, the world's record for running 500 miles from Durango to Denver. 500 miles. How do you get to be such an athlete? How is this possible? How, what is the preparation? What is the transformation we go through to be able as Paul says in scripture, run the race. So the two words I'm going to put up aren't found in scripture, but the idea is, I'm going to tell you about spiritual disciplines. And what I want you to understand is I look at this with you. Spiritual disciplines are not, not 
righteousness by works. The spiritual disciplines that God has for us are given to us as we surrender and as the Holy Spirit works in us to transform our lives. A spiritual discipline is anything that God gives to us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. So, how many spiritual disciplines are there? There's more than two. But I'm going to share with you two of the most important. These spiritual disciplines are God's means of giving us the life we all must have, that we want, that give us assurance of salvation. These basic spiritual disciplines are illustrated in these two pictures. What in the Sam Hill is this lady with a mask? What does this have to do with a spiritual discipline? And then there's that boy eating. Could be a girl, any gender, any age. These two spiritual disciplines, the first one deals with the letter B, and the second one deals with the letter E. Two spiritual disciplines. A spiritual discipline is anything that the Holy Spirit helps us achieve as we surrender our life to him. And those spiritual disciplines prepare us for Christ's return. They, they change our life. They transform us. So what is B and E? I want you to understand it. A spiritual discipline is anything that the Holy Spirit does to help prepare us. Spiritual disciplines are like compared to what physical exercise is to having a healthy body. If you sit in a chair and don't ever move for days, your muscles get in trouble, right? You got to do some things. But I want to tell you, spiritual disciplines are not righteousness by works. Spiritual disciplines are to our walk with Jesus. They are to our preparedness, our transformation, as physical exercise is to having a, a healthy body. So what is B? B is very important. The most important thing for you to stay alive starts with the letter B. <sighs> Doesn't it? If you stop breathing, you're in trouble. What is the spiritual discipline of breathing? If you don't breathe, you will die, right? These spiritual disciplines go right alongside of what we must do to stay alive physically. So what is breathing? 
Yes, we got to breathe literally, but what is spiritual breathing? It's prayer. The only way Jesus was able to fight the battle against Satan was his relationship with his father. His relationship this way with his disciples was important. Our relationship this way with each other is important. But if this relationship is not working, this relationship ain't going to go anywhere in terms of the way God wants it. Prayer is breathing. Prayer has been called the breath, the breath of life, the breath of the soul. So this spiritual discipline, now this morning, and it happens every time Sherry and I get in our automobile to travel, I don't want it to be a ritual, I want it to be a real. When we left home to come here to church, I prayed that God would give us a safe trip. When we eat, we ask God to bless our food. As we came to worship this, this morning, Jay prayed for the people we need to remember for their medical health reasons. I want to say to you, those are all important prayers, but the prayer life that we have needs to involve more than, dear Jesus, bless the food and help me to have a safe trip. I love to preach and teach Psalm 91. I'm not going to go into it right now, but he that abides in the secret place dwells in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 91 is a whole chapter about the importance of prayer and what happens when you pray. Prayer is the breath of the soul. I want to share with you a couple statements. Look at this. Prayer is the key in the hand of faith. How is that possible? Because when we pray, we are talking to the God of the universe. And that prayer unlocks heaven's treasure house where are stored the unlimited resources of God. I want to quickly tell you this story. Alexander the Great, one of the greatest military geniuses of all time, he died at 32, but during his brief life as a military king, he said something that is important to plug in right now as you think about prayer. He said to all of his conquered people, he says, you can come to me one day a year. Listen to this. Come and see me one day out of the year on this particular day. You can ask me for anything you want, and I'll give it to you. My lands. Alexander the Great. Boy, what would you ask him if you could come? So people came and said, Alexander the Great, I would like some medicine. 
I would like another horse. I need some money. He had like what was called the Secretary of State to hear all these requests, and, and people would come and ask for it, and, and the Secretary of State would take it to Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great just was disappointed because all the things that people were asking him for were like asking for a nickel when they could ask for a dollar. So one day, an idiot, that's what some would say, an idiot came to his secretary of state with a request, and, and so, what do you want? Well, I want a castle, and I want it furnished with all the best furniture and food and medicine. And I want an unlimited supply of money. And the Secretary of State was thinking, wait a minute. You're asking for everything that a king has. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to Alexander the Great with your request because you're stupid. So Alexander the Great was listening to this. And he was seeing the struggle. So he called his Secretary of State, come here, what does this guy want? Well, sir... He's asking for things that I'm not going to tell you because the guy's stupid. What does he want? Well, and so Alexander the Great, come here, what do you want? Sir, I want a mansion, a castle. I want it furnished with the best furniture. I want it full of clothes and medicine. I want it full of food that will never run out. I want money that will never run out. Oh, this is a big request. And why do you want this? Well, sir, where I live, people are very poor. People, some of them have no homes. They don't have any food. They don't have medicine. And I want to be able to provide for them everything they need. I want you to comprehend that story. Prayer is the breath of the soul. The God of the universe does not promise us everything we want. But like Alexander the Great, no, greater than Alexander the Great, he says, I will give you everything you need and there's nothing that you need for salvation that I will withhold. I love this promise, and I don't put it on the screen. I want you to think of this promise in light of prayer. This is an amazing promise. This is 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. According as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life. That's word life is eternal life. Through a knowledge of him, and that is better translated, through a relationship with him that called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises, 
that we might be partakers of divine nature. The two passages of scripture that Clark shared with us about transformation, God has given to us everything we need for salvation, for eternal life. And in the process, we are given great and exceedingly precious promises that by these very promises, we become partakers of divine nature. We're transformed. So this statement about prayer, breathing through the miracle of prayer to the God of heaven, we are offered the storehouse of heaven, the omnipotence power of God to see us through any crisis that we face. I love this promise. Now, before I share with you this promise, I want you to think of this picture. I don't know who this lady is, and I'm making it up. This is a picture of somebody doing some scientific work in a lab. When you think of the COVID vaccination, that had to go through a process where the outcome has to be that this vaccine is the same as this one, is that they work. It had to be tested and proven. So I want you to think of this promise now I'm going to share with you. What is B? It is breathing. What is breathing? It is prayer. Prayer is the breath of the soul. It is one of the spiritual disciplines. And isn't it interesting? In Romans 8, it says the Holy Spirit takes our prayers with groanings, whatever that means. He massages our prayers and takes them to heaven. So look at this statement about prayer. In the prayer of faith, there is a condition. The prayer of faith is a divine science. I'm going to stop there and say this science called prayer, called breathing, if you follow the conditions, the results are always the same. Like, think of this promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. The divine science is, when I mess up, when I fall, I come to Jesus, I ask him to forgive me. He doesn't say, well, now I have to think about that for a while. Are you, are you going to be good? We come to him and he says, I forgive you and cleanse you. The prayer of faith is a divine science. It is a science that everyone, everyone who would make their life a success must understand. Because then if the promise that we're claiming if the conditions are met, the promise is unequivocal. See, we can come to God and claim promises through prayer. A subject could come to Alexander the Great and ask for something. 
And one day a year, he would give it. Our God says, you come to me 24-7, 52, 365. Do you understand what I just said? Any day, any time of the day, come to me with your promises and your needs. Bring a promise to me that I gave you, and I'm going to do it for you. In the prayer of faith, there's a divine science. Satan does not want us to pray, especially when we've done something wrong. I'm making this up. Sherry and I, Friday, went to the First National Bank. We had our masks on. I had a gun. I held, up the, held it up. I hope you don't report me. And we left the First National Bank with $500,000. I've never held up a bank, not going to. But whatever the, the worst sin you could think of, and you realize you can have bad thoughts even in church, whatever sin you commit, Satan does not want you to practice the divine science of prayer he wants you to feel so guilty, he will put guilt on you and shame on you to keep you from praying. That is his favorite trick. The spiritual discipline God gives us called breathing, <sighs> prayer, we can come to him any day, any hour, and run to him whenever you have failed. And he loves to listen and forgive you. The divine science of prayer is a spiritual discipline that is not based on our works. Well, it's based on our willingness to surrender and come to the God of the universe. And he is eager to listen to us. So... B is breathing, B is prayer. Two spiritual disciplines I'm sharing with you today. What is E? It's eating. If in our physical life, we decide, you know, I'm not going to eat for six months. Well, I tell you what, maybe if you don't eat for a month. You have to eat to live. There are people, unfortunately, in the nursing home, as their life ebbs away, they stop eating. We can go maybe three days without water. We can go maybe a month without food. But you must eat, you must eat, you must drink. Physically and spiritually. So what is eating? What is eating spiritually? It is a spiritual discipline. B, breathing, is a spiritual discipline called prayer. Prayer is the breath of the soul. What is eating? I found this text back in 1970. 
and I've never forgot it. Look at what Jeremiah says. Eating is Bible study. Jeremiah says, thy words were found, and I ate them. What does it mean to eat God's word? Do you, you know, obviously you don't take the Bible and start chewing on the paper or the leather or whatever. Jeremiah says, thy words were found and I ate them and they did something to me. They were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Notice this New Testament passage. I think this is an amazing verse. What is eat? It is eating. What is eating? It's Bible study. Look at this. Thy words were found. And I hid them in my heart that I might not sin against thee. One of the promises of scripture is that he will write his law in our hearts. The transformation we need, the, the life that I need is both breathing and eating, is both prayer and Bible study. I need to store up in my life the promises of God that I need for my situation. When I was seven years old, we lived in Illinois and we lived in a house that was an old house. When the wind would blow, it would squeak and make noises. And, and on top of the house and in the rafter up there somehow on how the house was built, pigeons would nest up there. We might have 20 pigeons on the top of our house. And they would make these noises at night. They would coo or however they make noises. And I would lie in bed. It was a three-story house. I would lie in bed and I would get paralyzed with fear. The house would squeak and I would hear these noises. And, and I won't scream, but let me tell you, I screamed so loud, yelling for daddy or mommy that maybe the people two houses away would hear me. And dad or mom would come running into the room. What's, what's wrong, Albert? Well, do you hear those noises? Yes, and Albert, those are the pigeons. They're not going to hurt you. So the first Bible verse I ever memorized was Psalms 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and he delivers them. That promise I could claim laying in bed, believing the prayer of faith, believing that the guardian angel that God had given me was there with me. Obviously the pigeons weren't going to hurt me. Find promises for your situation and claim them. Store up those promises. It gets harder and harder for us maybe to memorize. 
but you know where the promises are found. And even if you don't remember what book or chapter or verse, store up in your mind the idea of the promise that speaks to your mind and, and let this verse be true. I've hidden your word in my mind that I might not sin against thee. Now, I've got to move on quickly. I want you to see the connection between prayer and the promises. So, this picture. This picture of a tree makes me think about up in heaven there is the tree of life and it goes on either side of the river of life. So here's a tree with four things hanging down. In heaven there is a real tree that is on either side of the river of life. That tree has different fruit on it according to Revelation every month. I'll ask you the question, but you already know the answer. What are the leaves for? It has leaves on it. According to scripture, it says the tree has fruit on it every month and the leaves are there to make it pretty. No, 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 that's not what it says. The leaves of the tree of life are there for the healing of the nations. I believe there's a literal river, a literal tree, and I believe exactly what it says. However, there's more to the story for you to understand today as you think about the life you want and you think about what God gives us through the Holy Spirit to help us through anything that happens on this planet Earth. What are those leaves for? What do those leaves represent today? What are they? So these leaves, what do they represent right now? Two spiritual disciplines I'm talking to you about, prayer and the Bible study. Look at this statement, amazing statement. With all the promises of God's word, all the promises, those promises are God speaking to us individually as if we could hear his voice today. So even though the promises in the Old Testament are thousands of years old, promises in the New Testament a couple thousand years old, those promises are God speaking to us today? Find a promise that deals with your situation and claim it through the prayer of faith because the prayer of faith is a divine science. Through the miracle of prayer, we're taken right into the throne room of heaven. Now listen to this statement. He speaks to us individually as if we could hear his voice. These promises are what? It is in these promises that he shares with us his grace 
and they are leaves from the tree of life, which are for the healing of the nations. Prayer, breathing, and claiming Bible promises go together to give us healing, and we need healing now. We need transformation now. These two spiritual disciplines will see us through the toughest times ever in our life. There is no crisis ever that we'll convey it, convey it, or be confronted with that God's promises are not for us to claim. Those promises are ours. I know I've got to hurry up, but I've got to share this promise with you. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. I would say, say that with me, that verse. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. Listen to this promise. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The battle that we're in against Satan is nothing that we can win. The weapons that God has for us are not carnal. They're not man-made. But they're mighty through God. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Listen. To the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against God. And brings into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. All of us have trouble at some times in our life of, of controlling our mind. In Romans 12 that Clark read, it talks about the mind. He transforms our brain. 2 Corinthians 10, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. This statement, it is in these promises that God communicates to us as if we could hear his voice. He communicates to us the leaves from the tree of life which are for our own healing, for our transformation. These two spiritual disciplines are God given to us for our salvation. I love this one. Listen to this. Every promise in the word of God furnishes us with what? The matter of prayer. Take the promises of God and put them in your prayer life. Jesus, I claim this promise that you'll cast down imaginations. I claim the promise that you'll give me a pure heart. I claim the promise that you'll write your law in my heart. Take those promises as leaves from the tree of life. The same author says, you will never eat of the fruit of the tree of life unless you start eating the leaves today. 
Listen to that. The leaves from the tree of life are God's promises. Start eating them. Putting those promises in your prayer life, in your breath, the breath of the, breath of the soul is prayer. I love this statement. Even though it's talking about how we might minister to someone else, it's talking about my situation. Open the Bible, Al Williams. Al Williams, open the Bible. You're tempted. Sometimes you fall. And over and over again, read the promises of God. These promises, Al, are leaves from the tree of life to help you be victorious. I didn't make those promises. I didn't make the leaves. This divine discipline is God's method of filling us with the Holy Spirit so that the Bible and prayer give me the assurance of a victorious life. That is so important. They are the vitamins. They are the vitamins against sin that will heal me. This is a weak example. They are the treatment for the cancer. Better than any treatment for cancer today, the cancer of sin, prayer and Bible study, is God's means of transforming our lives. I want a prayer life that's more than just, dear Jesus, bless my food, help me to have a good night's sleep, help me to have a safe trip. I want a relationship with the heaven. Remember, the only way Jesus was victorious to fight Satan was his time in communion with his Father. Same for us today. I think of this picture, and, and I got it off the internet. I think this is a picture of a coach telling this little boy who according to his t-shirt, is probably playing baseball. And the coach is saying, now listen, if you're the pitcher, this is what you do. If you're the catcher, this is how you do it. When you're up the bat, and when you hit it, you run to the base, you know. The coach doesn't do it for the child. But the coach is there to help us. Who is the coach? The Holy Spirit is the coach. He wants to dwell in us and change us, transform us. The two spiritual disciplines that are so vital, prayer and Bible study. Eat the leaves from the tree of life and claim those leaves by prayer. Practice breathing. Practice eating. I like this picture. I'm sure it's made up. Where Sherry and I live, there's a place where the police love to hide with their radar guns. And when I go down this street, I've learned, I've never been caught yet, that when I'm going past this spot, 
I'll be going the speed limit. And no cop is going to give me a ticket. I want to tell you this. If I'm driving down the road and the policeman is behind me, I will not run any red lights or stop signs and I will go the speed limit. See, the idea is when the policeman is around me, oh, I can be a great driver. But if he's not around me, this is true. I was driving with my wife one day going 100 miles an hour. And the policeman got me, and he was not happy. See, the policeman wasn't right behind me, because if he had been, I wouldn't be going under my now. See, what I want is not a policeman. See, here's what can happen through the discipline of prayer and Bible study. The Holy Spirit can dwell in me, and according to what Clark read there in 1 Corinthians 13 and in Romans 12, the Holy Spirit transforms my life and I am able to do the perfect will of God. So I put with this, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I'm here to tell you that if Jesus were here in person, no matter how big of a sinner you think you are, Jesus would say, there is no sin, and you can't have sinned so many times that I cannot save you, forgive you, and cleanse you. And if you think you're so righteous, better than other people, I'm going to tell you your sins are terrible. And stop being so proud Humble yourself and come to me. And there's not one person that needs to be lost. Those two spiritual disciplines are God's way of equipping us for eternal life. So I want you to think of this song as we close. Take my life and let it be. Jesus, come into my heart. Thank you for the assurance of salvation.